You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bonies, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bonies. Well, it's wonderful to be here uh, with you this morning. What a wonderful time of worship. I didn't realise this when I gathered to meet the team and pray with them at half ten this morning. Tom just let slip. We don't really have a lot of visiting preachers here. So I'm not quite sure who's more nervous, him or I. Because um, it's a big risk opening up your pulpit, isn't it? Because I'm very conscious at the end of that process, people might be sitting left with the question, why isn't my pastor as theologically and doctrinally sound as that Stirling pastor? <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. Wonderful. Let me, let me read this morning from God's words. And also greetings from uh, Kairos Church in Stirling. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to be here. My wife would be here. My kids would be here. Uh, but they are, my son's involved in worship this morning. He's just, he just got his first electric guitar a few weeks ago. And a distortion pedal. So we're trying to say, look, calm out with the worship. So they're holding things at Kairos with the team. Let's read from God's Word. Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. I think the words are coming up on the screen. And we read here, it says, This is the text of the letter of the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim, the Queen Mother, and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah, and Jerusalem, and the skilled workers, and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. By the way, I've done theological college and I still don't know how to pronounce half of the names. It's uh, fake it to make it. So if anyone can tell me how it's actually pronounced afterwards, let me know. So it said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. And I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his words. Let's just briefly pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And today, Lord, we would ask and pray that you would be glorified in our midst, that your presence would rest upon the release of your words, that you would enable us to encounter you afresh through your word. Your word says, if you're truly my disciples, you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Amen. So the title today was, was up there, dealing with delays and disappointments and detours. But I've actually got a bigger title, but I thought it was too many words. And it's this, go fully for God, despite your delays, your detours, and your disappointments. You know, I'm going to hone in, and you probably guessed that I'm going to hone in on verse 11 today. This is, the, in many ways, the key text. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you, put your hands up if you've heard that verse. Awesome. Keep your hands up if you believe that verse. <laughs> Some hands on the shooting up. One of the first verses I remember getting prayed over my life. I know I look half polished now, but 24 years ago, I was in addiction. 24 years ago, I was begging in the streets for money for alcohol. I was beginning to get arrested and spending nights in police cells, and my life was spiraling and had spiraled out of control. And then I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ came into my life and started to set me free. And he brought healing, and he brought deliverance, and he brought hope to a very broken 19 year old man and I remember as a young Christian Christians praying for me that God had plans for me to prosper me to bless me not to harm me and give me a future and that's 100% absolutely true and many of us know these verses to be absolutely true and we often preach God is going to bless you God's got a good plan the devil's got a bad plan the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy Jesus has come that we might have life and life in all its fullness we know this verse and it's absolutely true God is a God of blessing, prosperity healing and deliverance but here's the thing this verse was actually spoken to a people whom had been dragged away from the promised lands. There's something wrong with this picture. Where are the people of God? This isn't rhetorical, shout it out. Where are the people of God when this is written? Babylon. They're in Babylon. Where are they supposed to be? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They're supposed to be in the promised lands. God had said he was going to take them out of Egypt, out of slavery, into a land flowing with milk and with honey. But all of a sudden, the land had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed. They had been dragged off into captivity. They lost everything that almost marked their identity as the people of God. 
They had lost their temple, their land, and their whole corporate identity as the covenant people of God. And it's so important that we, that we know the context because as believers, and some of us have been on the road long enough, when things go wrong, and when we don't see what seems like peace, or protection, or prosperity, or provision, we can be tempted to say, God, where are the plans that you had for me? And the context of this verse is this, the people of God were in a place of disappointment. They were in what seemed like a detour and what looked like the delay of the fulfillment of the promise of God. So that's the context. And the context is also a call to seek God wholeheartedly. And if I can just share briefly personally this morning, this is not just an exegesis of the texts. But it's also a life message as well. Because in a number of years ago, um, I was very much in what felt like the ashes of disappointment. I've been a Christian about 24 years. And the first three or four years of being a Christian was kind of amazing. It was like heaven was open. And, and God very, very quickly launched me into evangelism. What is it about Christians when we first get saved? We can be quite good at evangelism. And then when we spend a lot of time in the church, we lose our evangelistic edge because we learn how to become Christians. <laughs> Let's forget being Christians and rediscover that first love and passion. And it was amazing fruit. To God be the glory, there was amazing fruit. God called me to work for YMCA. No jokes about the dodgy song place. <laughs> and although it was a kind of very compromised organization in terms of Christianity, we saw a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit among some of the young people from some of the toughest schemes in Paisley. Young people encountering Christ. Young people encountering the power and the presence of God. Of God. And it was a wonderful season of harvests. And then I went away to go and get trained how to do ministry. And for about 20 years, there's been different ministry that I was involved in, different training and theological education, which, by the way, I'm not knocking. It is good to kind of know biblically what you should believe about Jesus and recognize the Mormon Jesus is a different Jesus. It's good to be all right on the Trinity. We don't need to understand it all, but it kind of helps if we kind of know it's important. So I'm not knocking theology. But for about 20 years, I do feel as if I've been ministering with Saul's armor on. God's been blessing it. There's been faithfulness in it. There's been lessons in it. But it's not been what David experienced when he took that armor off and dealt with Goliath the way that God taught him to deal with the bear and the lion in the wilderness before he had any experience of training. So there's a, there was a process there. And things, as I said, I remember there was a period there I was in a, an established Presbyterian church learning how to preach some really theologically sound messages. And it struck me the other day, I don't think one person came to Christ in seven years. And recently, God in his grace and his mercy, we've planted Kairos Church. I've been called into prison chaplaincy. If I run away at the end of the service today, it's not because I'm being rude. I've got a service to take in the prison where I'm the full-time chaplain. But by the grace of God, the Spirit of God is moving in the prison. And there's been an incredible um, resurgence of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me share one story. And by the way, as a chaplain, you can be as secular and non-spiritual as you like and, and get on well in the job. 
and I'm not jumping in guns blazing, but the presence of God is going before us and he's touching lives. There was one young guy, overdosed because of drugs, rushed out to the local hospital on a ventilator, told he had 20% chance of living. Felt the Lord say, go, visit, lay hands on him, pray in tongues, and tell him to be healed in Jesus' name. Now when they're in the hospital, they're, they're attached to two officers. I went in there and it wasn't even chained because that's how, less, how little of a risk he was. He was out of it, on a ventilator, no response. So I quietly just introduced myself, lay hands on him. I don't go really loud and proper Pentecostal, I just keep it a bit low key. You know, be healed in Jesus' name, and then I turn around to talk to the officers, and the guy shoots up like a zombie out of the grave. He fist bumps me, he starts laughing and smiling. The wee nurse comes in and goes, That's a miracle. It was. She never saw me praying. And, and Jesus is moving, there's, there's lives that's been touched. There's been a one young man um, set free from addiction. We had our first baptism by a mayor in the prison and was a governor from another jail our governor was there we had people from cocaine anonymous people who are not Christians all part of this guy's story of recovery it's a partnership thing and I opened up my pulpit to the CA and a whole lot of other folk just to allow them to share their perspective and testify to the transformation and of course all the secular organizations are there everybody wants to take their wee bit of glory and credit you know oh yeah 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 you know this is you know we've sorted them and, and the guy gets up and the first words out of his mouth let me begin by giving glory to my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who set me free. And it's wonderful. And listen, I believe you'll hear of this guy when he gets out. Uh, it shouldn't have been out that long. And God's going to use him. Praise the God. God's moving. But here's the thing here. Before the harvest, there was delay. There was what felt like detour. There was what felt like disappointment. I remember about four or five years ago, I was in the middle of what felt like an absolute ministry train wreck. A fellowship train wreck where um, it talks about in the scripture, doesn't it? You know, about the, the wounds in the house of, of, of your friends. And I went through a ministry season that was very dark. We were in a manse, we had to leave that manse. As we had to go through the homeless, which was the shame surrounding that. It was a really, really dark time. I remember being in a, a church and there were a guest speaker and he testified, he said this message, he said, God called us to come from there to there. There was so much confirmation that this is where we were to go and serve him. There was God was speaking through prophetic words, anytime we opened the Bible, anytime we listened to a worship song, that this was the right decision. And then a few months into that move, all hell broke loose. Everything went wrong. The housing situation went wrong. The ministry situation went wrong. And in the midst of it, like what we do, we say, God, have I missed it? Have I got it wrong? And when the Lord showed them, it was the next season. As they moved into the next season, everything they went through in the previous season prepared them. And that's the message of encouragement I want to bring today. God has a purpose in our disappointments. And by the way, I get disappointment. There's different levels of disappointment. I'm from Paisley. There's minor disappointments like, how come my football team is not as good as St. Mirren? Right? But then there's the real disappointment, the real life stuff, the hopes that don't come to pass, the relationships that break down. The, the conflicts that make him in, the, the, the financial struggles and stresses. There's the real, there's, there's the bereavements. There's the illnesses. The stuff that says, God, where is your plan, your purpose, your provision, your protection? 
And what I've learned is dealing with disappointment is an essential part of discipleship. And what can sometimes happen is, it's particularly for quite resilient types, and as resilient people, we kind of muster on through, and we kind of survive the trial, and we go into our next season. But it's so important that we deal with the disappointment because it marinates. And it can marinate into our soul and into our spirit that it actually almost becomes a part of our personality. And again, if we're quite high functioning, we we can function quite well. But if we just kind of get beyond the veneer, that sore point and that bitter point is still there. And here's what I want to say this morning, this is what the Lord's showing us. God's got a purpose in our delays. You felt God was calling you to do something. You felt you were supposed to be in a certain place or something was supposed to happen. This is what I see in scripture. And this is what I see in this scripture. Delay is not a termination of your calling and your destiny. It's preparation for your calling and your destiny. I don't need to go through all the figures, but we know them from scripture. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jesus. All of them, there was a delay and a preparation period before they moved into the fullness of what God had called them to do. 30 years before Jesus started his public ministry. And then when he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, you think, well, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm good to go. The devil then drives him and leads him into the wilderness, into the desert, into a season of testing for 40 nights, isn't it? But after that period, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. So he was filled with the Spirit, then the trial, then the power of the Holy Spirit. There are times where in order for us to see a greater measure of power and presence in our life, we need to go through the process of disappointment, delay, and discouragement because there's a testing that's in it. Details are also part of God's preparation process. Remember the wilderness wanderings. And you can feel as if God were going round and round and round in circles. I don't know if I've got the strength to do this anymore. But God wasn't just getting the people out of Egypt. He was getting Egypt out of the people. And be assured of this. If you're in a season of what feels like delay and detour, allow the Spirit of God to do the preparation that he wants to do in you so that he can move through you. And there will come a point when you will hear this. You've made your way around this hill country long enough. You've been in the tabernacle long enough. It's time to move. Here's the thing though, just again, just to touch on this. If we don't deal with our disappointments and our delays and our detours in God at the time, we will carry and continue to carry something of the pain of that trial. And it becomes part of us. And it's much better to deal with the trial in God than to kind of just muster through it and need a bit of healing and deliverance later on. Especially if that trial uproots you from one community to another community. Allow the Spirit of God. Here's the thing here, and I don't, I don't know anyone's circumstances here, but if you've been in a situation where there's been false accusation, and misrepresentation of your character. That's one of the most painful things that can happen in church circles, especially if it involves leadership, and there can be a deep wound that comes with that. And there's this deep frustration that you need to be heard, and you do need to be heard, you can't be silenced. You need your story to be heard, 
But here's what the Lord showed me in that situation. I had to surrender my need for vindication. Give him the, the need. I don't need to vindicate myself. I can't vindicate myself. And we start to go, but what about a reputation? Because people can damage your reputation. Again, what he showed me was this. Um, we can never control our reputation. And too much of church life, because of middle class life, is about preserving what looks like a good reputation, even if the reality is different behind the reputation. And, but we can never fully control our reputation. But here's what we can control, our character. Surrender a reputation. People can destroy your reputation. Praise God. Do you know they, just, they destroyed Jesus' reputation? And if Jesus didn't make it through with his reputation intact, what chance have we got? He says, as it is for the master, so it will be for the servant. But they can never touch your character. Heaven knows your character. Heaven knows your integrity. And those who are closest with you just now and who know you and who don't have an agenda know your character. And that's all that matters in that process. Surrendering the vindication. And in that, there can be a release from the wounds because you're giving them into the hands of a merciful and just God. Don't be kind of like, smite them. <laughs> you know, we're tempted to pray that. But Lord, I give them to you. Here's another thing the Lord showed me from this passage, and this is a, a bit of a head, how does this work theologically? In God, right, your detour and your delay is still plenty. One of the biggest things if you want to walk with God, and one of the hardest things to deal with is feeling of missed God, of missed the plan, of missed the, the, his perfect will for my life. I've missed it. And, and listen, I know Christians, mature Christians on the road for a long time, they're carrying a guilt. I felt I should have been away on a, a foreign mission field. I felt I should have been in this part of the world. I felt I should have been doing that. That's what I feel in here, but yet here I am. In God, your detour, your delay, and your disappointment is still plan A. Think about it for a moment. These people were supposed to be in the promised land. That was God's plan for them, but they were in exile. Let me ask another question. Who took the people? Why did the people end up in exile? What was it that caused them to not be in the promised land and go to exile? Sin. Anything else along those lines? Idolatry. So their own disobedience, their own willfulness led them into exile. So they could be over there saying, oh, what a mess I've got myself into here. And in a sense, that's absolutely true. We can read about it in Deuteronomy 28. God actually warned them before they went to the promised land, if you wander from me, if you rebel, you'll be uprooted, you'll lose this, and you'll lose my blessing. We could also say that Nebuchadnezzar is responsible for them being in, the, in this place of exile. That, that, that evil king has attacked us. He's destroyed our lands. It's him that's taken us over here. God, overthrow this enemy. And there's a sense in which that's true. There was an evil king with his own agenda that was trying to further his own purposes. And he did bring the attack. And sometimes as Christians we say, well, I'm under attack. This, this is coming against me. All hell is breaking loose. And we, we, we rebuke it and we, we try to cast it out in Jesus' name. And we've got a lot of affirmative declarations. And yet the attack continues. Was the enemy at work? Yes, the enemy was at work. But the key, I really believe, is verse 14 of Jeremiah 29. We read in that verse here, it says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you. 
declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We actually read in the ESV that where I sent you, and we'll come back to that in a moment. So in the same verse, we have God saying, I have banished you into exile, which speaks of punishment, discipline. But we also hear the words, I have carried you. And for God's people, even in the midst of his discipline, his banishing, for want of a better word, is also his pastoral carrying. Your trial feels like maybe judgment or punishment, but there is a mercy in which in your trial, he is carrying you into the presence of God, carrying you into deeper sanctification. I don't have time to read it, but Hebrews, we know the verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 to 13. Actually, I failed to read this just now. I'm just going to read this. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4 to 13. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. It's filtered by the Father. Though he slay me, Job says, yet I will trust him. The mercy of God is in your delay. It's in your detour, and it's in your disappointment. And actually, there's much more. Those of you who have got ESV, he says, I carried you. Verse 7 and verse 14 uses that word carried. If you have the NIV, it uses the word I sent you. Now we're in a good solid apostolic church, even though it's called Riverview or something. Uh, apostolic church in Bowness. What's the significance of the word sent? Apostleship. Apostleship. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. That apostolic missional anointing. The word mission in Latin is, is sent. Here's my, my next point. God has got a missional purpose in your detour and disappointment and delay. And that's what we see. Seek. He says, look, you're here. And while you're here, let me read that verse 7 of chapter 29. <clears throat> Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Their exile, which is supposed to be their place of discipline and judgment and refining, is their place of mission. God is calling them to let their light shine, stripped from all the things that had become peripherals in their missional um, journey. And that's exactly what's happening in Scotland, God is stripping the church of the bells and smells and steeples and temples. Don't, don't let me put you off going buying one. Right? <laughs> of all that stuff so that we can truly shine as the people of God. They're not where God initially called them to be. They should be in the promised lands. They have failed God, they have disobeyed God, they have backslidden, but yet in the grace of God and in the sovereign purpose of God, they are exactly where God wants them to be. 
Let me say this morning that no matter how you're feeling, how things are going, how bad it seems to have gone, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Rest in the sovereign care of a loving and merciful and wise God. When we're in it, it's sometimes hard to see that. Well, don't come and give me Romans, you know, all, everything works together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose. Because we can end up, when we're in it, and when we're in the thick of it, we can become blinded by our disappointment. But listen, we're not alone here. Because these people were blinded by their disappointment. What did they write? What psalm did they write when they were there? Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our hearts, for there our captors asked for us a song of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can I sing the Lord's song when it's all gone wrong? How can I sing the Lord's song when there's so much relational pain? How can I sing the Lord's song when I'm overwhelmed with grief and pain and anxiety and frustration? Because the Lord knows the plans he has for you to give you a future and a hope and not to harm you. What is true of them is true of you and it's true for me. Just one we aside, verse 8 to 9, we talk about false dreams and false prophecies and those kind of things. When we're in the place of disappointment, there is a, a danger that our heart can be deceived. And it's important to guard our hearts. There was false prophets that was telling them what they were going to hear. God is going to bring you out of this. God is going to deliver you. And we need to watch that even when it comes to healing. In his name you are healed. Yeah? But is that by the power of the Holy Spirit or is that just you? Because when it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, the outcome is a person gets up and walk. When it's in our strength, we can shout it and declare it a hundred thousand times and there's no effect. And we need to hold the tension of the kingdom of God in the now and the not yet. Has he overcome the grave? Amen. Has he died for our sins and for our sicknesses? Amen. But the future glory of the kingdom is future. The kingdom has come in Jesus. The kingdom is coming like that prisoner in the name of Jesus be healed, but it's flashes and manifestations of the power of the age to come. And we need to make sure that the encouragement and the words that we're hearing are actually encouragements and words from God. There is a hyper-prophetic movement today, and there was a hyper-prophetic movement then. God is going to set us free. God is going to deliver us from our captives. God is going to rebuke. This won't last long. Do you remember some of the folks that were cussing COVID and saying this is only going to last three days? False prophetic dreams given, false prophetic hope. We need the true prophetic words of the Lord, but the true prophetic word of the Lord will often coincide with darkness and trial and tribulation. By many tribulations, Jesus says, we will enter the kingdom of God. So guard our hearts. We need to be careful with false prophetic words. 
False ministry can be birthed out of a false desire and a discontent heart and a hurt heart and a deceived heart. Think about the disappointment of Abraham. He knew that God had called him. He knew that he was to have a son. He knew that that son was to become a nation, yet time was ticking away. And in his disillusionment, and in his disappointment, and in his delay, he births Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes a challenge for him um, ever since. So how do we know if we're leaning on a false prophetic word or it's a true prophetic word? We need to get to the place where Abraham got to where he was willing to put the promise on the altar. When, when, we, when we hold on to a kind of a false prophetic word that can become an idol, a true prophetic word can become an idol. He had to, God said, put your son on the altar and kill him. Now, the kind of current humanists and secularists go, oh, that's shocking. Look how terrible the Bible is. See, Christianity is evil. There's, there's a whole lesson in it, and the lesson is this. The promise of God never must become more important than the presence of God. Even our gifts, even our callings, even the prophecies that we have must never become more important than he is. We must lay them on the altar, whatever it is. And as we lay it on the altar, the beauty of it is this. God releases it and gives it back, but it doesn't have a hold on us. We're surrendered and we're yielded. And that, let me just kind of, I don't even know what time we're at now, where are we? 23, I'm gonna just bring it in here. So let me just finish with this. God calls us to realign ourselves regularly because we get ourselves unaligned. I don't know about you, but I get myself, I can get myself terribly unaligned. The old hymn writer puts it this way, prone to wander, God I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's our hearts in this world. But then it says, here's my heart, oh take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. And we often come back to that place of fresh sealing. How do we respond to this this morning? What do we need to do? Let's realign our hearts. What is our primary purpose? To seek God. To love God. To have God at the center, Christ on the throne. What is our purpose? Mission. We're called to be a blessing. I know this is not a city. Just do what Sterling and Dumbledore does and just call yourself a city. <laughs> Pray for the blessing of the town, a bonus and further afield. The city, the town to which he has called you. And here's a wee challenge. Don't settle for living a blessed life. Lord, I was listening to some preacher recently and this really triggered with me, really hit me. Has the devil led you astray by giving you a life of ease? A life of ease that seems, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. But in that life of ease, you've missed your primary calling to love him with all of our heart, soul and mind, to put him first and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteous. Can we say with Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Church, let's pursue him for fullness. He died for us that we may live for him. Let's surrender afresh today to the God who loves us, to the God who cares for us, to the God who heals us. Doesn't necessarily take us out of our trial, but takes us through the trial. Let's just pray.